Welcome to episode four of the So What series. This is Brendan Flanagan. Thank you for joining us. This series is designed to launch our website at brendanflanagan.com. And in it, we ask the penetrating biblical questions normally withheld from polite company. Today we're asking, what is the Bible? We often hear that the teachings of the Bible are good and well, but we must not take the writings too seriously. They tell us the scriptures have been corrupted over time, and now we possess only a fragment of the original. So naturally, we are inclined to cherry-pick the verses we like and ignore the ones which cause division or confusion. Of course, we want to be given the desires of our hearts, but we don't really want to face eternal punishment. So we continue along our lives, grabbing bits of wisdom from the Bible. But what if we held an uncorrupted and true Bible? Not just true, but inerrant, infallible, and all-sufficient, the very Word of God. Such a Bible would change our very conception of faith and our current relationship with God. We hope to briefly address the topic of biblical inerrancy, using both biblical and extra-biblical evidence to disprove the conception of a corrupted biblical text and show the truth of the Scriptures, and call you to look to the Word of God for a relationship with God. Thank you for joining us for episode four of the So What series. This is Brendan Flanagan. Today we're asking, what is the Bible? First, we must turn to the 66 books composing the Bible. For if the Bible itself does not claim inerrancy, infallibility, and all sufficiency, then we begin a pointless conversation. Fortunately for us, the scriptures come with assembly and operation instructions. So let us begin in the Old Testament, the Jewish Torah, which composes the first 39 books of our modern Bible. In Joshua chapter 1-8, we read this. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. God speaks directly to Joshua and confirms the necessity of his book of the law. The book of the law refers to the writings of Moses, also known as the Pentateuch, which composed the first five books of our Old Testament. We can note two things in this verse from Joshua, chapter 1, verse 8. First, God does not mention any textual corruption in the Scripture. Second, the book of the law is all-sufficient and should be a constant source of reflection and thought. Moses also asserts the all-sufficient nature of the Scriptures when he instructs the people in Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verses 5-7, through 7, saying this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. The word of God is true, infallible, uncorrupted, and sufficient for all teaching, day and night. But this doesn't just end in the Old Testament. This doesn't stop with the word of God given to Joshua, given to the nation of Israel. No, this continues into the New Testament. Approximately 1,500 years passed between God's admission 
to Joshua and the ministry of Jesus Christ. The Jewish nation experienced exile and war. Corrupt kings often ruled the nation and corrupt priests oversaw the temple. Yet the Jewish Torah, our Old Testament, remained uncorrupted. For during Jesus' earthly ministry, he had the ability to redact or edit the scriptures. Certainly, we see him changing the teachings of his time. In Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, You have heard it said, but I say to you. But Christ never corrects the scriptures. In fact, he confirms their validity and asserts the entire Jewish canon. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 35, we see this. So that upon you may fall the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. In this sweeping statement, Christ confirms the truth of the scriptures. Abel, the son of Adam, was no fictitious character. The guilt for his blood is as real as the blood of Zechariah. Additionally, Christ reveals the Jewish canon. Genesis, the first book of the Torah, tells of Abel's murder, while Chronicles, the last book of the Torah, presents Zechariah's death. These books sandwich the law, the writings, and the prophets, and significantly exclude the apocryphal books, which the Roman Catholic Church includes. 1 and 2 Maccabees, Ecclesiasticus, Wisdom, Barak, Tobit, Judith, and additions to Daniel and Esther. While the compilers of our modern Bible rearrange the order of the books, the content remains the same. A reliance and reverence for the scriptures continue into the New Testament church. In 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul writes this, All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. In short, the word of God is sufficient for all manners of life. Moreover, the Greek word Paul uses for inspired literally translates to God-breathed. God breathed out all Scripture. Also, the apostles ascribe the same authority to the New Testament as to the Old. Paul upholds both Testaments as Scripture, writing this in 1 Timothy 5.18, For the Scripture says, You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. In this verse, Paul first quotes from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 4. And then he quotes from our modern-day New Testament, Luke chapter 10, verse 7. He refers to both as Scripture, connoting their status as God-breathed writings. The internal biblical evidence compellingly demonstrates the Bible as the literal truth of God breathed out, without error, profitable for instruction in all aspects of life. Finally, and quickly, we will briefly examine the extra-biblical evidence in support of biblical inerrancy. In writing The Secular City, J.P. Moreland writes this, Approximately 5,000 Greek manuscripts containing all or part of the New Testament exist. These manuscripts date from as early as A.D. 70 to as late as A.D. 200. In addition to the 5,000 Greek manuscripts, around 8 thousand more manuscripts survive in other languages. Most convincingly, these existing manuscripts disagree less than 1% and largely in areas of punctuation and grammar. So we may rest assured that the Bible we hold is the very scriptures that Jesus upheld and that our modern-day canon of scripture faithfully preserves the Gospels and the letters of the New Testament church. Lastly, 
let us view the Bible's wealth of evidence compared with the other books of history. Caesar's Gaelic Wars claim only 10 surviving manuscripts. Herodotus's history possesses only eight existing manuscripts, and the earliest dates of those manuscripts are 1,300 years from the original. Compare that with 70 years from the original for the Bible. Thucydides' history of the Peloponnesian War continues the trend with only eight manuscripts 1,000 years from the original. Overwhelmingly, both biblical and extra-biblical evidence assert the validity of our modern-day Bible. Our Bible has withstood more textual criticism than any other book in all of history. No effort of research or scholarship has destroyed the fact of its faithful preservation or its enduring truth. We hold the inerrant, infallible, all-sufficient scripture breathed out by God, affirmed by Jesus Christ, and faithfully preserved by the early church. We know true disciples of Christ meditate upon his words. We read this in John chapter 8, verse 31. So we may confidently continue, we may confidently abide in our Christian faith through the scriptures and by the reading of the Bible. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can listen to this one or others like it on brendanflanagan.com. Until next week, may you have courage in Christ.